This is the year the Lord has made, or this is the month the Lord has made, or this is the week the Lord has made. But he says, this is the day. Because you know what? God gives us one day's grace for one day's task. This isn't even my message. This is a free commercial, okay? So the one thing is this. You know, when you start realizing whatever you're going through... This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice about today. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm focusing on today. Because if you look at your year ahead, it could overwhelm you. But you can focus on today. And we will rejoice and we will be glad each day. I'm finishing up a series that we've had about making a difference. Now, if you've been a part of this series over the last several weeks, you'll remember that Austin was able to come up one day with his muscular build, and he, he showed us that bodybuilders can focus a lot on building a physique, but then if you don't do anything with it, it's really just in vain. And we talked about God giving us spiritual gifts and spiritual muscles where we're strong at. But if we don't do anything with it, our Christianity is in vanity. We also looked at how our actions, our decisions, will make either a positive or negative impact on people. Regardless of what it is, your decisions will make either positive or negative impacts. Your words can speak life or death into a situation. There have been times when I've awakened in the morning and I am not feeling good. And I say, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I start speaking the word of God. And you know what? I start feeling better. Instead of just saying, you know, I'm just going to lay here all day. I take command over what's going on in my body. And I speak the word of God. That's just a situation in my body. But that also happens in our home and our world. I speak those things that I'm believing God for. Over Labor Day, I talked to you about making a difference in your workplace. That God places us in our classrooms, God places us in our workplace, God has placed us in our neighborhood to make a difference. We have a testimony of what God has done in our life, and he has placed you where you are. You may not like your neighborhood right now. You may not like your workplace, but God has placed you there to make a difference, to be salt and light in a very hurting world. During this series, we also looked at how four friends took their paralyzed friends to Jesus. And they knew that they had to get them to Jesus. And they were going and the room was packed out. So they climbed up on the roof, cut a hole open, and lowered them down. And I'll tell you, we all need friends like that, that when we're paralyzed, we need people who are going to get us to Jesus regardless of the obstacles. They didn't have committees. They didn't have a, this. They just did it. And we need to be believers that are bringing our friends to Jesus even when it's not convenient in our life. We also looked about how we can make a difference in our tithes and our offerings. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart, and God wants you to trust him. Last week, I preached probably my favorite message in the whole wide world. And it was talking about, and Dino even referenced it today, about the collision in a city called Nain. And a funeral procession was coming out. A widow was burying her son, her burying her son and it says a group that was following Jesus was coming into the city, and they met at the city gates. And we talked about how this group was being led by death, and the group that was following Jesus was being led by the person who would defeat death. 
and how Jesus had sympathy and how sympathy is easy in today's society but he also had compassion and compassion will charge you to make a difference in a situation man we have people that it's very easy to be sympathetic about but compassion gets deep down inside of you and says we've not we need to make a change my life has to account for something I challenged you last week to look into this congregation and say, do you see someone in this congregation? Or can you point to someone who's sitting in a church or life has changed because you've been able to make that change in their life? I even asked you by the end of the year, can you make it a goal to get someone brought back to Jesus Christ? Whether you bring them here or you take them to a church that preaches the word of God, that's not the important issue is that we're making a difference in other people's lives. You see, we are created by God for a purpose. We were gifted by our Creator to make a difference in other people's lives. Not just to occupy until He takes us home. And I think when we walk into those pearly gates, we're going to realize that the things that we thought were important, were not. How large your TV is isn't going to get you a better place in heaven our toys and our accumulations and what we did in the corporate world will mean nothing but the lives that we changed for eternity is what's going to be of value today we as a nation are going to face an election in 24 days so today I wanted to talk to you about making a difference with your vote I want you to know that I am not proclaiming one candidate over the other I will pray for any candidate that God elects to the office and I will love and I'll honor them but I will pray for them diligently as a nation we're facing huge and social and moral issues that are going to determine this upcoming election and we as followers of Christ are commanded to be wise as serpents harmless as doves we're called to be salt and light we're called to make a difference and to be informed we're to be aware of our freedoms. We're to be aware of changes that are happening in our culture and those who we elect. I've got a question for you. Does the name Boston Curtis mean anything to anyone in this room? Boston Curtis. In 1938, the name Boston Curtis appeared on the ballot for the Republican Committee from Wilton, Washington. And I want you to know that Boston Wilson Curtis, Boston Curtis, was a donkey. The town mayor sponsored this animal to run for office, and I want you to know that the donkey actually won. And it was to show to the townspeople they really didn't know the candidate that they were voting for. They were voting for a name. They were voting for a party, but they didn't know the candidate. And today, we have people that are voting for a name or they're voting for a party, but they don't know the hearts of our candidates. It's important that we understand that we live in the greatest nation in the whole world, that we have a constitution, that we have freedoms, we have rights that we enjoy, but we're also responsible for the character of the people that we elect. I want to remind you that we are blessed to live in a republic. And a republic is governed by the consent of the people. Do you know what that means? That means that we own Washington. Washington doesn't own us. You see, we've gotten the mindset that Washington owns us. That uh, Washington owes us something. 
And in reality, we own Washington. We are a democracy with a voice and the right to choose. We have a constitution, which is the law of the land. And we as a nation are at a turning point. There's three things that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the definition of life. We're going to be talking about the definition of marriage and family. And what debt does to a nation. These issues will impact our future. I want you to know that God's word is very clear on these matters. The scriptures are very relevant. Principle number one is that God is involved in government and so should we. God is involved in government and so should we. First Colossians or Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says this. He created all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether they are kings or lords, rulers or powers, everything that has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything and holds everything together. John 19 verses 10 and 11 tells us this. So Pilate says to Jesus, Aren't you going to answer me? Don't you know that I have the authority to free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered Pilate, and said, you wouldn't have any authority over me if it had not been given to you from above. And that's why the man who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. You see, we have to understand that God established government. He's also called the church to pray for those leaders. And God is intimately involved in our government. We as Christians are called to pray for our leaders. Every morning at 1010, we meet in that room and we pray not only for the church service, our leaders, those who are serving our country, those who are in other lands, our embassies. We also pray for other churches that are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. We lift up our worship leaders and our ushers, our greeters, our set up, our tear down, our children's workers. We pray for them. But we pray for our leaders because we are called to do that. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 3 tells us this. First of all, I encourage you to make petitions, prayers, intercessions, and prayer of thanks for all people. For rulers and for everyone who has authority over us. Pray for these people so that we can have a quiet and peaceful life. Always lived in a godly and reverent way. And this is, this is good and pleases God our Savior. You see, as born-again Christians, we have obligations, not only to make a difference in our world, but to pray for those that are in authority over us, to intercede for them. A lot of times, our intercession is just about ourselves, our situation, our needs, our wants, our desires. But we have an obligation to stand in this world and make a difference. The second point that I want to talk to you about is that we are to vote through a biblical worldview. You say, Pastor Mark, what does that mean? That means that we approach everything with the Word of God and how it lines up with Scripture. We as a nation are facing social issues that require our involvement. In order to see a change or prevent new definitions being created, abortion and marriage are at the forefront. I want you to know that God gave Moses Ten Commandments. And he knew that if we lived by these Ten Commandments, our society would function well. Today I want you to look at the Sixth and Seventh Commandments. 
Now, do you all remember our little finger way of remembering the commandments? How many of you all remember that? There is one God. Do you remember that? There's commandment number two. There is only one God, and we shall not bow down to any idols. Do you remember the third commandment? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will not blaspheme their names. Number four, about the Sabbath. Do you remember? Keep it holy and get some rest on the Sabbath. Fifth commandment. Do you remember what that is? Honor your father and mother. Those who have ever gotten a smack on their butt just knew what I was talking about. <laughs> commandment number six. Thou shall not murder. Commandment number seven. Thou shall not commit adultery. Moms and dads need to stay together. And when they do, the whole family rejoices. Do you remember these? They're on YouTube. You can search them. Don't ever say, I don't know the Ten Commandments. We're stopping at six and seven today. Murder and family. Abortion. In today's society, we've given it a new term. We call it pro-choice because it sounds less off offensive. But when we look at the Sixth Commandment, the Greek word in there says to kill, which means to murder, to be a murderer. Many Christians today think that it's alright to, to kill innocent blood under certain circumstances. This actually became a topic if you watch the debate of our vice presidents. What was very interesting is that both of them are self-proclaiming Catholics. One said that although he understood the role of the church, he did not practice the role of the church when it comes to this. That gets very dangerous when you start in theology of what you want to share and what you don't want to share with others. Because what about the salvation of Jesus Christ? Oh, I believe in it, I just don't want to share it with anyone else. I believe in love and forgiveness, I want to receive it, but I don't want to actually give it and apply it to other people. You see, we're not in a position where we can take the Word of God and start dissecting it on what is convenient for us and what is not convenient for us. So it's important that we understand. Abortion is murder. I've met women who have had abortions, and I don't condemn them because I'm more concerned about their future than I am about their past. I do have to stand up many times to people who proclaim abortion as that option. But it is the shedding of innocent blood. I believe that life begins at conception. And God plans our lives from the very first day. Psalms 139 verses 13 and 16 tells us this. For you created my innermost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That means that while I was in the womb, God knew me. God had my future. He knew about Kristen coming into my life one glorious day. He knew about the children. He knew about you being a part of our lives. But the destruction of human life is a horrible practice against God's law. You see, you and I may differ on a law or a, a war that we may be engaged in. 
but war itself was never outlawed in the Bible. You and I may differ on economic policies, but God never outlawed economic policies in the Bible. But when it comes to abortion, which is murder, this is, was outlawed by God's word. I truly believe that you will be responsible for knowingly voting for people that are pro-abortion yeah. because that blood will be on our hands. Right. I, as your pastor, according to James 3, will be held in a stricter accordance to what I preach and what I speak. There are times that I love giving a great encouraging message, a message that will build you up, and then there's times where we have to have a message that challenges us to take action. Praise God. By the way, anyone that was born after 1973, would you please stand up? If you were born after 1973, would you stand up? That's going to be all our younger people. Now I want you to look. I want you to look at this group. Do you realize that this group, okay, survived the Roe versus Wade decision? You may be seated. That means that it was after that decision was made in 1972-73 it became law that your life could have been ended out of convenience it could have been ended out because when your parents found out that you were a boy and they wanted a girl or that you were a girl and they wanted a boy or that maybe there was something f happening in your body that that might cause some extra issues in your health you could have been aborted I want you to know that when we teach our younger generation that it's okay to murder under circum circumstances, that as we get older, euthanasia might become an option yep. when we're too old or it costs too much in our health care to take care of us. You say, Pastor, that's so, that's so radical, that's so far out there. But I'm going to take you back about 20 years here in a minute. And some of the things that I'll be telling you about were radical back then, are very common today. Yep. Marriage. The definition of marriage is under attack. Earlier this year, our president, our president, I don't care what party you are with, our president made a declaration. Do we have that video ready to go? an historic moment. President Obama saying in our exclusive interview that he is now in favor of same-sex marriage. He endorsed civil unions but opposed gay marriage during the 2008 campaign. And for the past year and a half he has indicated that his feelings might have changed especially in light of recent comments from top people in his administration. So yesterday at the White House I directly asked the President this question. Mr. President, are you still opposed to same-sex marriage? I've been going through an evolution on this issue. And I had hesitated on gay marriage, uh, in part because I thought civil unions would be sufficient. But I have to tell you that over the course of several years, as I talk to friends and family and neighbors, uh, when I think about uh, members of my own staff who are in incredibly committed monogamous relationships, same-sex relationships, who are raising kids together. At a certain point I've just concluded that um, for me personally 
it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that uh, I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. And I continue to believe that this is an issue that is going to be worked out at the local level because historically this has not been a federal issue. Well, Mr. President, it's, it's not being worked out on the state level. We saw that Tuesday in North Carolina, the 30th state, to an essence ban gay well, marriage. Well, 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 what I'm saying is, is that different states are coming to different conclusions. I think it's important to recognize that uh, folks who feel very strongly that marriage should be defined narrowly as uh, between a man and a woman, uh, many of them are not coming at it from a mean-spirited perspective. You know, a bunch of them are friends of mine, uh, you know, pastors and you know, people who uh, I deeply respect. Especially but in the black community. Absolutely. It is very right. dif a difficult conversation absolutely. to have. But, uh, but I think it's important for me uh, to say to them that as much as I respect them, as much as I understand where they're coming from, when I meet gay and lesbian couples. For me, I think it, it just has tipped the scales in that direction. And historic and controversial announcement he says is happening now in part because... This is available on YouTube if you'd like to watch the rest of that. that. But I would like to talk to you about Genesis chapters 1 through 3 where God actually set out the order of marriage. It is very simple to me that God created Adam and Eve and we've all heard that he didn't create Adam and Steve. Okay? But he created Adam and Eve, and there was a commandment that they were to repopulate the world. Two men would not be able to accomplish that command. That would have been absurd for God to create Adam and Steve and say, now go populate. Or two Eves and say, now go repopulate. You see, that's like everybody bringing chips to the party and no one brings the dip. And I'm not telling you which one's the dip and which one's the chip. <laughs> but you need to have both of them for something to really good happen. Do you understand? I've watched several interviews and he was saying that, he said that his gay and lesbian friends felt that if there would be more acceptance, that they would feel more normal. This is what our president said. And even I'm going to tell you that 20 years from now, if Jesus tarries and it becomes just very commonplace, there still will not be that normalcy because that was not the way they were created. They have bought into a lie. They have been hurt. They have been rejected. And because of that, they seek out anyone who accept them. And the church was not accepting them, so they went to the world. There's many times where the church is at fault. We need to love them. We need to accept them and teach them who they are in Christ. It's important that we understand also about our nation. Currently there are 30-something states that have passed laws to define marriage between a man and a woman, and there's some with legislative policies. But overall, we've become a generation of acceptance. We accept more now, faster through internet, through Facebook, through Twitter, through everything. Something new can be presented out and man, it will go viral. That's our new word. It went viral. It had a million hits overnight. And all of a sudden we start accepting things. And I want to tell you that we need as the church to stand up and help stop some of these Amen. sensations that are happening through. What Hollywood is trying to produce and push into the agendas of everyday life. You see, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I'm just talking 1992. Some of you were, were around in 1992. This issue of gay marriage would have been absurd, and now it's very commonplace. What if 
If Jesus tarries and doesn't return 20 years from now, child molesters will be saying, I have the right to have that relationship with your little child. That is what is my right. That's the way I was created by God, to have a relationship with an 8-year-old. And we're going to be sitting there saying, well, you know, I, I guess, our, is our president going to be making this statement saying, you know, I've met some really good people that love little children, a love that's not normal, but it's love that we should endorse. And I think we should just leave it up to the states. Where was the church when this was happening? Where was the church? We have to stand up. We have to make a difference. We have to get involved. You know, there's the old statement, there's two things I don't talk about, religion and politics. I'm going to tell you, you have a pastor that that is my life. Religion and politics. Because I know the responsibility that we have to make a difference. I'm going to tell you something that's very, very important. If you get one thing from this whole message, I want you to get this one thing. Can you get this one thing? When you vote, you make the decision. When you don't vote, others make that decision. Do you grasp that? You say, Pastor Mark, why are you talking to us about voting? Because I want you to know that in 2008, there were over 17 million evangelical voters that did not vote. 17 million that did not vote. That could have made some differences. We were too busy. We didn't care. We didn't like the candidates. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not crazy about either candidate this year. But I'm still going to vote. And I'm going to vote as close as I can to the biblical values that I read in my Bible. We have to realize our role as Christians in this society. How did our country get so far to the left? I want to bring this closer to home. If you're not aware of it, our nation is in an economic crisis. I mean, I'm not mean to shock you on this, but we are in an economic crisis. I want you to know that Germany, before World War II, was a mess. Now, I also want you to know that I'm part German, okay? So I'm, I'm just making you aware of this. What happened is this. Germany had reparations that it had to pay back to other nations after World War I. To do that, they invested trillions of dollars into our stock market. And in 1929, whether you're aware of it or not, there was a crash in our stock market. And that crash in our stock market not only affected American citizens, it affected other nations, multiple nations. And one of those nations was Germany. Now, I want you to know that Germany at the time was considered one of the most refined nations. It had some of the smartest people. And because of this economic crisis and the pressure that was put on the people, a party grew out of that, led by a gentleman named Adolf Hitler, 
who promised the people that he would restore back to the, the lands that had been taken through the armistice agreement, that he would restore Germany to the power, that they would not have to go through the difficulty they're having, that he would be like a messiah to them. And people bought into that because they wanted a savior. And they believed that Adolf Hitler was that savior. We obviously know the outcome from that situation. But it allowed Hitler to convince many German people that would be better under his ways. Hitler rose to power quickly. And one of the first things Hitler did was remove church out of society. I'm going to tell you that any dictator will be first attacking the church, destroying the Bibles, because truth will set you free. Tyranny will bind you. I want you to know that our first commandment was that there is one God. Amen. And that one commandment overrides everything else. Because you may say, well, Pastor Mark, the Bible also says it's for obey the law, the command, the, the command, the to understand the laws of our nation and to obey them. That's true. But I'm going to tell you, you still always have to honor God. Because I'll tell you, they will try to legislate God out of our society. We're seeing that taking place now in our school. They're seeing that taking place even in our veterans' cemeteries. They're seeing this being taken. They are trying to remove all references from God from our schools and our society. When Eisenhower liberated one of the death camps, there was a village just down the street from it. And Eisenhower had that entire village march past that death camp, through the death camp. The photos of the people walking to the death camp were as if we were just all going to have a barbecue dinner out on the grounds. There was laughing and they were smiling. And then they saw where millions of Jews were slaughtered and killed and stacked and as the photos of those people leaving, you could see the condemnation, the denial that that was taking place down the street. We as a church are in denial. And that wasn't even planned. <laughs> It's like, David, I'm not starting the altar call yet, so just, just <laughs> calm down, man. Word from the Lord. Come on. They had been denying what was happening, and the church has been in denial. The church has turned its eyes. Remember we talked about last week when Jesus saw that funeral procession. He didn't turn his eyes. He just didn't say, oh, that's so sad that that woman as a widow now will, will have a life of loneliness, and, and her financial stability has gone. He had compassion, and compassion drew him in to make an action and a change. Back to our economic crisis. It's been created by the greed of man. I want you to know that, and I was checking our national clock that's just checking. You can type in national debt, and there's a screen that will pop up. We're over 16 trillion. They're showing that every citizen, that's even... Jackson and Madison and every citizen, not taxpayer, 
owes right now $51,000 to the U.S. government. Every taxpayer owns over $142,000. So just when you think you're getting out of debt, I got some surprising for you. I also want you to know that China holds the majority of our debt. A nation that is talked about in the book of Revelation. I want you to know that they've been talking about one world government, one currency. Read the book of Revelation. It's there. The reason why I do not take Lake House Church into debt is a very simple principle that I'd like to share with you in the Word of God. And it says in Proverbs 22.7, the rich rule over the poor yep. and the borrower is servant to the lender. Right. Oh, you say, Pastor Mark, I don't fully agree with that. I'll tell you what, borrow some money from a family member. Borrow some money from a, from, a, from a friend and see how that relationship will change. All of a sudden, somebody who's borrowed money from you, you say, oh, by the way, we went to the movies yet. Oh, you went to the movies? Don't you remember you owe me some money? See, everything is under circumstance because now I have an obligation to that person. And I truly cannot teach you about debt when I'm leading you into more debt as a ministry. We have to be careful with the national debt of our nation because the rich will rule over the poor. The world is looking for a savior. Back in the 2008 election, the world felt that it had found its savior. And I want you to know that Louis Farrakhan called President Barack Hussein Obama the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He made this statement at a Christian church where he was the featured speaker at the pulpit, even though he is the self-proclaimed head of Islam. This is happening in the church. The church has been silent for so long, and it's time to take action. It's time to take politics and religion and make a difference. It's time to discuss things with your neighbor, what you believe and why you believe that. Yeah. Oh, but Pastor Mark, I don't want confrontation. I don't want them to know what I believe in. Are we not to be a light? Are we not to be salt? Are we not called to make a difference? You see, every once in a while, your pastor has some radical t-shirts that I'll wear out in public. This t-shirt says, I've noticed that everyone that is for abortion has already been born. <laughs> and I'll wear this, and you'll be surprised at the amount of people who will take the time to read my shirt, and then I can tell by their facial expression whether they realize what point of abortion that they're on. Oh, Pastor Mark, we should never be out there doing something like that. Oh, it's okay for us to, to promote worldly brands and, and, hey, I'm American Eagle or I'm, I'm Polo or I'm this. But when it comes to life, this is too radical, Pastor Mark. Denial. I thought it was just a really clever statement. I really did. Makes people think, wait a minute, everyone who's against it, hey, not me, it's the other one. It's important that we understand that we have to get out and we have to vote. We have to make a difference. 
I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you to research the Word of God, find a candidate that stands as closely as they can in their character. And I will tell you that the Word of God says that man will fail you, but God will never fail you. There is no such thing as a perfect candidate. Okay? But we also are called to pray for those candidates. That when they do fall, they will sense the, the, the immorality in that decision and that they will turn their hearts to God and they will do what is right. You see, the church, if it was doing what it was supposed to be doing... In fact, let me back up a little bit. If everybody gave to the church the way that we were supposed to give... The church would be able to take care of the poor, the hungry, and the needy. But because we turn that over to the government, people now look to the government as their source when they should be looking to the church. Man will fail you. God will never fail you. We as a church need to stand up and make a difference. We are called to make a difference. We were created to make a difference. We're called to lead, not just follow. I'd like for, to know that someday all these things are going to happen that we read about in the book of Revelation. I do believe that we are in the end times. But I also know that there's an expectancy that we fight a good fight. That we run a good race. We don't just sit back and say, well, you know what? It's going to happen anyways. Just let them go there. No. We can't sit on our hands and deny that things are going on. And if 20 years from now, the church at that time, if Jesus doesn't return, won't be looking back at this generation, this church saying, why didn't somebody do something? How did it get this bad? Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, However, if my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves and pray and search for me and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear their prayer from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their country. We must realize there's an obligation to pray for our leaders. We have an obligation to learn about the candidates that we vote for. Compare their choices to biblical viewpoint, worldview. Start with the clearest issues. Abortion, marriage, the debt. We're called to make a difference. As I close, I want to share one last scripture with you. It says Proverbs 29 2. It says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bears rule, the people mourn. That's right. I truly believe that's applicable in every situation. It could be that way in your school. If the principal's wicked, the students are going to mourn. Yep. If your manager's wicked, the employees are going to suffer. Yep. If, if there's corruption in the mayor or the city council, the city's going to suffer. Yep. But here's talking about worldwide. We have an obligation as born-again believers to make a difference. As I said, this is the last message on this series. I've talked to you about your workplace, your evangelism, your, your world, your giving, your strengths, your gifts, your callings. But in 24 days, you have the ability to, to go and vote, to make a decision, 
to research the candidates, what they stand for, to pray for them, to pray about your decision, but to vote. So that new definitions aren't created in our society. Laws could be overturned. Supreme Court justices are going to be determined in this next session. We have the obligation to make a difference. As I close every message, you know I give you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because that is the most ultimate important decision is whether you're going to give your heart to to Jesus or you're going to deny the forgiveness of your sins from the only person that came that could redeem you from death. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to lead everybody in a very simple prayer. with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am saved. Amen. I hope that through this series, you look at your life differently. Why God created you? Why are you on this world? Why did God create you at this time? Have you ever wondered why God didn't create you 100 years ago? Or if he tarries 100 years from now? But he created you for a purpose. Amen. And he placed you in a place. And you are created to make a difference. If you all would speak, stand, I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we close. According to God's word, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. We love you so much. Thank you for coming today.